0: Hello coaches, welcome to another episode of the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. This is your host, ITA COO, David Mullins. Today I speak with Davidson Kozlowski. Davidson is in his 11th year leading the men's tennis program at Drake University. During his time at Drake, he has been named the Conference Coach of the Year on six different occasions while qualifying his teams for seven NCAA tournaments. He has also helped the program to its highest ITA national ranking of number 16. Davidson served as the men's assistant coach at UAB prior to arriving in Des Moines, Iowa. In this podcast, we discuss why he left his forever home in Alabama for Iowa, his approach to community engagement initiatives, what can be done to make college tennis more relevant at both the local and national level, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Davidson.
1: Davidson Kozlowski, welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches podcast. Dave, thanks a lot for having me. Um, I, I've spent the last
2: well o- over a year listening to these, and uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed every single one, and 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 take um, and, and take something out of e- out of each one.
1: So, Thank you. So thanks uh, for
2: uh, thanks for doing it. Thanks for including me today.
1: Oh, definitely no, and I'm sure. Um, yeah, uh, a lot of coaches are going to enjoy this conversation and get a lot out of it. So thanks for uh, making t- time. I know you're. You're about to hit the road later today and and that's that time of year so we'll get straight to it so I want to take you back um you know obviously you were a college player yourself, played professionally a little bit but then you entered the coaching uh, profession, but you did it on the club side so at what point did you get interested in college coaching and why and how did you make that transition um you know got into
2: club tennis and, and, you know, coaching juniors and, you know, the performance players, um, really, because I wasn't sure what I was doing after college tennis and, and, and playing and, uh, you know, opportunities that came up to work with some individuals, then a facility was open and, you know, I was able to lease one facility, picked up a second facility. So that's kind of what I thought I was going to be doing was running, uh, you know, uh, tennis clubs in Birmingham Alabama that's where my wife was from I had met her and moved there I would still occasionally go and hit with the UAB guys just just for fun stay active um, I don't want to say thinking I was giving back to the college game at that point it was just more for I enjoyed being around college uh, tennis and I wanted to hit and it was exercise and you know that kind of business um, after doing that for a, a year occasionally showing up um, their assistant left mid-season in December. So when January was rolling around, they were needing an assistant. And um, I just asked Derek Tarr, unbelievable guy, former top 100 ATP player. Your older coaches listening will definitely know Derek and have some incredible stories to share about him. One of the best uh, people I've ever been around. and so I just went up and said, hey, you know, do you mind if I, I help you? And and Derek's schedule at that time was, you know, he was running a tennis club himself. So his practice sessions um, were kind of during the off hours of club tennis. And so we're he was hosting practices from 12 to 2 that fit into the to my schedule. So um, I asked if I, you know, if he minded if I helped out that season just to get them through. And he said yes. And it didn't take long for me to realize you know, how much I, I truly love being a part of of every part of, uh, you know, college tennis and, and coaching. So uh, not even at the end of the season, you know, halfway through, three quarters through, I just said, hey, can I do this full time? And um, and he said, yes. So I, I got started there and uh, was helping him, you know, for eight years while still, you know, trying to manage and and run tennis clubs. I had great people that were assisting me at the clubs and was just giving them more and more responsibility as I was giving more and more time to uh, Derek and uh, the UAB tennis team.
1: So at that point, Davidson, did did you realize you wanted to be a head coach and make a career of college coaching or were you still a little unsure?
2: Um, No, I I think with each year, you know, I I wanted, you know, you're just falling into it. You're just giving more and more into it. And um, you know, whether that, I didn't know where that was really leading it was just something I was starting to be fully invested in and um, and and my wife knew it and you know there was a couple opportunities um, and and one was actually at uh, at Sanford and I'm forgetting how many years I'd been assisting uh, Derek at UAB but I applied for that job and um, was really obviously hoping I'd get it I was uh, I could be a head coach I could stay in Birmingham, Alabama that's where uh my family was that's where uh, my wife's entire family was um so we just kind of thought that would be really cool you know get a head coaching job there i did not get it uh quite honestly i was devastated um and it and for a brief moment thought i don't know if i want to coach college you know like um i don't know took it a little personal um but you know as a day or two passes and you know you're back on court with your with your team members um you know, again, it was the, it's the love of college tennis and being around the players and uh, really not, not where you are, but kind of what you're doing and uh, just back in full throttle. Um, but, you know, I think that idea of trying to be a head coach obviously enters, enters the mind and everybody's, but it was not really a full uh, uh, final destination. It was just trying to do what I love
1: doing. Gotcha. And then, so like you said, you were eight years there at UAB um, looked at some other opportunities. So why then was Drake the right fit? And then why do you think the athletic department believed you were the right person for the job?
2: I don't really know why they thought I was the right person. Um, <laughs> I mean, really, I, I you know, I uh, grew up in tennis, played college tennis, took several years away from college tennis and then was uh, an assistant at, uh, you know, at, at at UAB. So I truly don't know. Uh, I was lucky enough to to get on campus and have an interview, and these jobs are lucky. So somebody, somebody thought something that I'm not aware of. Plenty of people might have turned it down and not been interested. I I, I don't have a great answer for that. Um, I think they made a great decision. Um so I, I, I thanked them, and, and Brian Brown was the one that was interviewing me at at, at the time and, and hired me, so that was awesome and uh, thank him all the time. Uh, anyway, and why that was the right fit because they, they gave me an opportunity and uh, I was at UAB and it, it, you know it was in my eighth year eight, you know eight and a half years there. and we truly at the time wanted to stay at UAB and um, you know, getting personal and uh, you know, there are things that we had kind of asked for at, at UAB if I was going to be that invested and, and Derek had been talking about retiring. This is Derek Tarr. Um, and, you know, we, we were putting this much into it. If I was giving this much of, um, you know, of a commitment to it and, and everything to this team, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, back then teams were doing, you know, coach and waitings. You saw that at the uh, you know, football programs, basketball programs, coach and waiting. Some schools, you know, were really starting to do the associate head coach. Um, and Derek was great. I mean, he went in and he asked for these things and multiple times they, they were turned down. I mean, we were not honestly looking to leave Birmingham, Alabama. We, we had too much there. We had built our dream home. Uh, and that's kind of what my wife said to me, you know, um, if we do this, you know, this is forever. Right. And I said, well, yeah, you know, we'll we'll be here. I wanted to be there. And, um, it didn't make any sense for us to leave. It, It just really didn't. But uh, Chad Jackson, who's now at, uh, at Baylor, was my sports supervisor at the time. And he said, look, as, as long as you're doing what you're doing, things aren't going to change. Things don't change until, you know, things need to be changed. So he said, if if you're doing all this, you know, basically UAB's UAB is just going to keep you until they feel the need. They have to make a change and step up. And, and sadly, that's what happened. All of a sudden, you know, the opportunity at Drake came. I went back to to Derek and, uh, and, and UAB and said, Hey, I have this offer from, from Drake and, and, uh, you know, went in and met with, uh, the AD sports supervisor and Derek and, and they said, well, what would it take to, to have you stay? And, you know, I just made, I made a list and, um, and Derek was fully supportive of it. And, um, takes me about 30 minutes to drive home from, from UAB's campus to my house. And I walk in the door and, you know, five minutes later, I get a phone call that says, everything you want, uh, you know, we'll do, we, we want you here. And it was like, okay. for eight years, you know, you could have done something and uh, and and now this is it. And so I was ready to stay at UAB. And I went in, ran inside, we, we had a tennis court in the backyard. So I run up the stairs and I'm like, oh my God, just got a call from, uh, from uh, Brian Mackin at UAB, he was the AD at the time, and he says um, he says they want me to stay. They they've agreed to everything on uh, agreed to the terms, and um, and I said let you know. And she said, "Are you sure?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'm sure." And she said, "They've had eight years to act like they they appreciated and wanted you." And I said, "And and Drake wants you. They um they want you." She said, "You got to go take this." And um, it was unbelievable from her, you know, she was giving up her, her, you know, her entire family was from, from Birmingham. Um, still live there anyway. I, you know, our family's there and that was masses from her. And, um, and, uh, yeah, she, she's the key to, she's the key to everything in, in, in our life and all our success. So, um, I do owe everything to her. Um, but super supportive. And just like, just, just go take this. The move was incredibly hard. Oh my God. It, uh, kids were young. They're crying almost daily, we hate it here, we need to leave. My daughter was, you know, I don't know, third, fourth grade at the time, she'd leave these notes on my de- uh, on my door, bedroom door and around the house, like with a uh, ugly face, we like uh, frowns with tears on it. And uh, I hate Drake and I hate, <laughs> and uh, oh, my oh my God, man, it was so rough to, uh, to, to get through the, the first few months. And um, I think it was really kind of the first snowstorm that came we took the kids uh, sledding, you know, in December or something that, uh, they're like, okay, it's not bad. We had snow when we did this and we started taking them skiing and doing different things. And, um, uh, but about year two, they, they came around and really started to develop their own friends. But I mean, you know, we took them from everything they knew and had took them to a place we had never even been before. So, so that was rough, but, um, but now they call it their home. They, they love it here. They, they, uh, they, uh, if you ask them where they're from, they're, they're from Des Moines and, uh, they, they they love drake and and what Drake's been able to to offer us yeah, so no, that's, that's how we ended up at Drake and uh, oh, I don't absolutely. know why they chose me um, yeah. and then uh my my wife being uh, fully supportive and, and and thinking this was the best thing for for me to to do because she knew how passionate I was about college tennis and
1: um, so yeah no that's it's it a, man. that's a great story and and um yeah, thank you for sharing because I know this is something you know coaches are are dealing with and struggling with and and making those moves and you know, sometimes coaches aren't open to, to, you know, they're very clear, hey, I just want to be in this part of the country, and don't open themselves up to possibilities. And then others do. But then there's the family component of it, which is, is very challenging. I, I when I, I moved from Northwestern to Oklahoma, I went back and forth every day, you know, it was like, this day, yeah, I'm accepting the job. The next day, it's like, no, I'm staying. Because same thing, we had a lot of family there, had a great had a great we're very happy you know it's like you're happy why 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 change this but ultimately like said um it's it's also that challenge you you want that challenge as well and and uh and probably the kids are better because of it they went through those challenges well it's difficult i know with my kids but it's tough for coaches it's it's a tough deal and and but i think the the message at the end of the day is, Hey, it all works out. Just be patient with it. Usually good things become of it, and, and, uh, usually pays off to, to take that risk, I guess. But yeah, uh, yeah,
2: it was definitely, yeah. it was definitely a risk. And, uh, in fact, to I, I was so nervous about taking the job. And one of the reasons I actually was thinking not about taking the job is, you know, Drake had had some success and, um, and, uh, Evan Austin had done a great job and, and Jimmy prior to that and, and Chase Hodges and, um, and, and Evan was really getting them to uh, Evan Austin was really getting them to uh, to a, a, a recognizable place. Yeah. And um, they had an incredible team coming back. And I just thought I just don't want the pressure of having to live up to that. and um, And and coaching these guys that have, you know, developed and, you know, we're on this path with, with Evan and Evan ultimately had to make a professional decision himself at the same time. And he had moved on to to Fresno and, um, and you know, it's, yeah, you know, I just thought I'd like to go to a place, low profile, uh, not a lot of pressure and just, just try to, to build something up. And, um, anyway, so I, I was very nervous about coming here and the players were incredible. I basically just drove the van and uh, let them do their thing that, that, that first year, and then really had to to kind of dive in and start making the program uh, my my own. But uh, anyway, yeah. it's, been, it's been a good journey.
1: Yeah, well, go. I will definitely want to get into that because you have had a lot of on-court success and I'll I'll go through that more in, in the intro. Um, but, you know, you've also been very successful building a community around your program and trying to figure out at what point did you uh, understand that this job was a lot more about then just wins and losses, and, and also maybe how has the job evolved over the last decade or so? I think when first coming here, the, the, the
2: focus, and, and and rightfully so, is so much into getting to know your players um, and just trying to figure out your your team, and, and that's your focus. Um, and when, when I got here, when I took the job over, when I was actually interviewing for the job. You know, the, the the one knock on on Drake was was kind of the the schedule they were playing. You know, great team, um, but it's going to be tough because the the schedule just isn't there to get you know properly ranked, recognized. Um, they had never won an NCAA match, but that's tough to win an NCAA match when you know you're winning your conference, but you're unranked. So you're going into the tournament and you're essentially you're going to be playing a, a number one seed in, in your bracket and probably a, a top eight seed or a top four seed in the country, a top four team in the country. So coming in, I mean, it was just reworking that schedule right from the get-go. We just cut everything or moved, uh, you know, some of the matches that we thought were, you know, more favorable, winnable to, uh, to double headers and just flew and drew, drove everywhere around the country. I mean, that first spring break, we switched it up. We We flew to Tampa played a tournament at South Florida. Matt Hill was hosting it, then flew directly out to San Diego, played a tournament out there. I was just trying to expose the guys. So for probably as little as I was involved in their, you know, their recruitment and and developing the first few years was just finally exposing them uh, throughout the year to a higher level of competition. And I think that was great for them, you know, so it wasn't just winning the conference tournament and going and playing NCAAs and playing one of the top teams in the country and seeing that level for the first time. They were seeing that throughout the year. Um, this team was incredible, though. They were winning matches throughout the year. So uh, we flew up the rankings, uh, you know, we're reaching in the top 20. We were up at 16 that knocked off number 14, Washington. But that was really the biggest thing I did for, for that team. And and, and that, so that was my focus in the beginning was just trying to expose this team to. To the best competition and that's not something you just sit down at your desk and uh and say you're doing i mean that took a lot of time and uh and effort and that that's where my focus was and then you know then we are losing those guys so it's into recruiting and getting all that at the same time you you want to keep providing the best uh environment the best uh you know place for your your players. so then you start thinking okay how do i how do i how do i provide more and um so then you start getting into thoughts of the the recruiting. I mean, not the recruiting, the 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 fundraising. There there's very minimal, if any, uh, fundraising prior to my getting to to, to Drake, and uh, so we really started trying to to get into that. But that was more so on just trying to provide more to the players and uh, you know the rackets. Uh, the guys were you know basically buying the rackets before I arrived at Drake, and uh, you know shoes being limited to the amount of shoes they had, and it was okay we're trying to play, you know, top competition in the country. We want to be looked at as a top 50 program, a top 25 program. Um, we need to start treating our players uh, as such. Um, so that, that was the shift. But, you know, once there was the comfort of really knowing the team, really knowing uh, Drake itself and the ins and outs, you you could, you can shift that focus. And, um, but I think what you, you are getting into is is some of the projects we we've also discussed. Um, and and COVID was a big help to to all of that. And um, you know when COVID hit, um, you know we really weren't able to to do much. And and just pre-COVID, I one of my best friends started helping with the team. Uh, Aaron Forsberg was was great. He was in the Des Moines community uh, tennis community. But but getting back to his wife played, my wife played, and a lot of college tennis was just kind of shut down. So um, we were just, you know, giving, uh, you know, lessons to, or, you know, their, their women's clinic just, just for fun. and was kind of going out to uh, the Lifetime Fitness and, um, you know, working with some ladies teams and just getting
1: involved. So, Davidson, what other advice or tactics could you provide to coaches looking to get their communities more involved with their program?
2: You know, actually, a,
1: a great event that we started doing at, at
2: at Drake and was really successful and has a lot of buzz throughout throughout the year that we're actually increasing to do it two times a year now. Um, is is we call it a Drake Cup, and you know, we got the idea from from Danny Bryan at Wichita. Danny Bryan was running a a pro am league, so he would have his team and he'd have all the you know the the players stronger players in the area. Um, partner up with with guys on his team and, and run a, a 10 or 12 week league with a, you know, opening day and then a, a closing ceremony. So he does it differently, but, uh, you know, we went over it. But for us to, to the, the best way for us to do it was just a one day event. Um, and so we just hosted a tennis tournament and uh, it was um, guys would pay an entry fee. So we would get the stronger guys in the area. They'd, they'd pay an entry fee. And then what we would do is auction off um, uh, draft picks. So the, you would buy a a draft pick and, you know, so the the highest bidder would be able to pick first and could select from, you know, one of the the roster members or a a coaching staff member. And, um, that's just a lot of fun for, for the community to get involved in the men. I mean, you know, once they start bidding, you know, they have egos, they, they get competitive. So, you know, bid starts at, you know, let's just, throw numbers out there you know 250 they go to 500 i mean all of a sudden you've got guys bidding on five thousand dollars to have a number Uh, one draft pick and um and and yes some of these guys we we already know they're going to be helping the program but they might be helping or you know figuring they're going to come and write a check for you know a thousand dollars that day or something because it's it's a it's an event but then mm-hmm. it, it it is to get a little competitive okay no i will step up i'm I'm gonna be the guy that wants that number one draft picked i, I will uh i'll show my wallet today and um and it's a lot of fun and, and we make it a full day event and uh you know it's very social food uh we've got a trophy so you know just a like a big uh championship trophy yeah uh that you'd see it any large event and then you know you just add the uh the people's names to it and um anyway so that's a lot of fun it's a great event um, I could share with that, but uh, you know, I got it from Danny Bryan, and uh, so he, he was very helpful. And and uh, it's a great event; it's a lot of fun. But I, the key is just trying to find ways to to get out in in the community, and um, and you know, <clears throat> it's just what you're trying to get out of the program. You know, our number one thing was in it really increasing the 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 fans, the support, the interest, the people knowing that we had a team everybody getting to know our team. And, and secondary, it was the, uh, the financial support. And if you're building those relationships and um, I think they're, they're both gonna organically and genuinely happen um, and, and it does take time, but we've been pretty successful. I'd say really successful. I'm, I'm excited about what we've been able to do with the, the fan support and then also um, you know, the, the financial support and people kind of being invested in our program.
1: Hmm. And just Davidson back to that uh, event, because I'd imagine a lot of coaches might be in- interested in doing something similar. Do you play pro sets throughout the day? And is there any handicap? I mean, if you're, if you're uh, not one of the stronger players, um, you know, bidding on a player, is there any type of handicap system or anything like that? Most of the
2: guys that are coming out are, are fairly similar in in their level to begin with. Okay. Um, so because we're limited on the number of guys we have on the team. So we basically say we have 16 Drake members that we can, you know, so-called pros or something, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that are available. So it's going to be a 16 person draw um, 16 team draw. So 16 men in the area and you're typically targeting um, the, the, uh, the same level, Um, or you might reach out to a guy or two and say, Hey, we're going to do a Drake cup an event, go find 14 of your buddies, go find 15 of your buddies. And most of these guys were on a USTA team. So they'll get, you know, eight guys off their team. And there's also another 4-0 team in the area and they'll reach out to that. And that's kind of how you get matched up. So you're not having, you know, a 3-5 level player and then also 5-0 men coming in. Uh, you you're, you're focused more on, we've got 16 guys, go find 16 guys. And again, that helps when you have the relationships with them and you know the guys in the team and you reach out to, you know, one of the team captains and say, hey, we're going to do a Drake Cup this coming up, you know, this weekend or any other event. Because uh, Drake Cubs have been our biggest fundraisers, but we do a lot of small fundraisers or get together or social events the same way. where you are just kind of reaching out to, a, to 16 people to come out and play. And those are, you know, smaller events. They're social. You get people to come out and play. But, you know, bring your USTA team to come out and, and, uh, and hang out with our team for the day. Um, so uh, we haven't had to handicap it yet. Um, that's how we kind of level the playing field. Um, and it's typically we play college rules. We'll do one set, um, the no ad scoring, just follow that. So you can kind of just bang out quick sets. Um, sometimes we play tiebreakers at five all just so it's not stretching out, but uh, we can adjust we just adjust it a little bit like that. But um, yeah. most of these guys have run events, and if, if if you haven't, there's somebody in your area that runs a club that could that could help somebody uh put an event together
1: yeah okay and and what were you drafted last time around what, what, what number did you go <laughs> oh in our last drake cup
2: um yeah I, I i went pretty yeah i i had a third or fourth i'm not sure i i was actually yes somebody made a mistake um that, that was more of <laughs> this, i think that they wanted to 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 make me feel good and and, and put some money down but uh
1: okay yeah. As long as you stay in the top five, we're good with that. <laughs> we okay. didn't come close to winning. I can tell you that.
2: I, I was picked high, but uh, didn't finish high. So.
1: <laughs> okay. So Davidson, yeah, so so how do you translate so you're you're being maybe more visible, um, you're interacting with these women's groups. Uh, Aaron's out there helping. how How do you translate some of those connections, those touch points to then actually getting more people? in the stands for your matches and also being willing to maybe dip into their pocket and, and support the program, uh, in, in different ways financially. How, how have you, you know, uh, facilitated that or how do you think you have, uh, over the last several years? Well, I don't think it's, it's not easy and, and it's,
2: and it's not easy to, to commit to kind of going out there and and doing it and it's definitely not easy if you're thinking you're, you're doing it for an immediate um reward um again you're, you're doing it what 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 turned me on a lot was i had been so locked in this cell at, at drake and this little you know bubble that i was in and it was just focused on the team and my players i really didn't know much outside of the drake tennis and and then to kind of be able to go out and 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 meet people just honestly just to meet people um and and i'm not saying to go out and hey like, like i got to make some friends it was like you're just going out professionally and and you're meeting people and and you have things in common with them and um and you're playing tennis with them and um and it's just you know you just start engaging with people and you it trust me, we didn't go and do uh, a clinic or volunteer to, uh, you know, to help our wives teams because we thought it was going to grow Drake tennis. That was not the idea. You know, Mm -hmm. we didn't start connecting with some of the better men that were uh, playing tennis in Des Moines because I thought it was going to better Drake tennis. It was, Oh my God, there's, there's people that are passionate about tennis. I'm passionate about tennis and you just start connecting. I'm not working for them. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not giving these people lessons, so to speak. Um, we're just engaging in uh, on, on friendships, and and that was really just just kind of the path we took, and it was uh, it was slow. Again, it, it's not like hey, let's go do this, uh, let's go do a clinic, or I'm going to go play doubles on a Wednesday with a group of men, and I'm going to ask them to donate to the program. No, and, and we're talking. I've been at Drake for ten years, and mm-hmm. we're starting in year, you know, eight to see the rewards of uh, a couple years of, of of work. Minus you threw COVID in there, that really. Set things back a bit, but it 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 just takes time, and and I think a lot, you know, you want departments to be patient with coaches' success. I mean, you see that all the time with uh you know, English football teams and uh, American football or basketball. Like they don't give coaches any time, like to develop players. Well, you know, we need time to develop relationships in the community, and 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 the coach needs to be supported within the department. To, to have that kind of time too. And 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 I think that that's huge. And you know, I think COVID made everybody wake up. I mean, I listened to the podcast. Heck, I even kind of started a podcast because I was bored and my son was at the house and his school was canceled. So he was helping me edit, you know, editing. And, uh, you know, we only did about six or eight episodes. But, you know, you're just trying to figure out what to do. And, and the whole thing was make yourself relevant, get out there. Um, we were kind of already doing it already, but, you know, we listened. And, you um, okay, you know, how can we, you know, get out there? How do we be more relevant? And, uh, and, and we were just taking notes, doing things that we love to do. We're just two guys that happen to be passionate about tennis and just went out and did it. And, uh, you talk about my passion for tennis. I mean, Aaron's not even a a full-time employee at Drake. He volunteers. He, He works for John Deere, but the guy just loves tennis, um, and, and loves being around. And, um, and, oh man, yeah, I, I, I owe so much to Aaron and, uh, and love him. He's one of my best friends. And, uh, and can't thank him enough, but, uh, but yeah, you guys gotta, you know, somebody's got to go find a, a best friend like that, that can, you know, help them and keep them focused. And it's so much easier to do things together. Right. You're not going out there on your own. It's kind of two and it, it helps the comfort level when you're just going out there and um, you know, so if men are looking for doubles, well, there's two of us, let's go play doubles. Let's put together a doubles night and, and start playing. I mean, we've got a group of men, you know, 16, 20 men that come out and play on, on Wednesday nights now at Drake, um, which is huge. And yes, all these guys have started in uh, supporting, supporting the program, but, uh, but these, the, you know, that, those weren't goals. Those were just outcomes.
1: Yeah. So it's really putting yourself out there. No, you know, not having too many hefty expectations or or goals with it, but just trying to develop those, those relationships, make those connections, but then, also now i mean is is it just more organic or is it okay we we've made these connections we're not exactly sure how it happened but it's happened we have some momentum and then is it just um you know in terms of getting them out to matches i mean are you sending out a, a newsletter are you keeping track of it or it's just like you know their interest in the program and they're going to look up the website <laughs> or follow on twitter or Is there, is there anything more? Oh man, you know,
2: it, it takes so much effort and, uh, and, you know, Drake's unbelievable has given us incredible opportunities, but, um, you know, we, we have to do, we're we're basically, you know, if we want things done, we have to do it ourselves. I mean, um, and, and so we're the ones that are out there networking, we're the, we're the ones out there, you know, selling our program, you know, trying to get the community to come out and, and be involved. But. Yeah, it, it's organic. I mean, we we had men coming out to play tennis, as I as I said, and um and we had just ordered, this was a year ago, and we end up getting, you know, close to eighty thousand dollars worth of upgrades from uh, from this from this from this men's group, and and mostly uh, I'll just have to say his name because I don't want to listen to this and say, you know, you didn't bring me up, but but this guy Ryan Steyer just kind of massively stepped up. And um and so he's fully on board and uh, he's got an interior design company here and, and in Des Moines and um just fully embraced and fell in love with the guys but that wasn't going to happen unless he was coming out and um you right. know that's not why Ryan was coming out to play tennis he was just a guy that played tennis and kind of knew some other guys in the group and showed up but you know one day we were just telling the guys oh we just ordered these uh these court mats uh you know logoed mats because we used to have these uh you know like those puzzle piece those black ones you see sometimes they're in the gym but uh, like okay. the ones you could buy at Walmart or Target like that, that's what was underneath our benches, and uh, I think he overheard, or somebody was asking, like, "Oh, we had just ordered these." So when the day was over, we were finished playing. Ryan said, "Well, you know, what else are you guys trying to do in here?" And I, you know, kind of said, "Oh, we want to get uh, some new court dividers and some banners." And he goes, "Well, do you mind if I ask how much those those mats were?" And um, I'm really uncomfortable about talking about numbers, right? But uh, I end up saying, "Okay, this this is the cost." and uh, and he, said, he sticks his hand and he goes, I got those. And um, writes me a check right there for for the the mats. And um, I was like, do you want to see your receipt? He's like, no, I trust you. And uh, so yeah. writes us a check for them. And then, uh, and then I don't know, a week later calls me up and says, uh, you know, I didn't really pay attention what your tennis center looks like. He said, I don't know if you know, I'm an in interior design why don't I come through and walk through walk through and let me just have some time in there? And uh, so he comes back. I said, "Yeah, man. Honestly, come in. Let us you know, give me give me some thoughts. Let me know what you're thinking." And uh, he does it. He makes a big list. Comes back, and uh, you know we go over the list, and it's just ridiculous. I'm just like, Brian, I can't even buy these guys a pair of shoes. I, I and um, he says that's okay. Um, let's not let's not let's not let things like get get in the way here. He said, "You have a vision." Um, And that was the other thing. So then we met and he's like, what's your vision? What are we doing? And, uh, anyway, so then you just build these relationships. And he says, he said, let me worry about all that. You just trust me on what we're going to do in here and I'll run everything by you before we do it, but just trust me. And, um, and so he's, he's kind of been the one running the show with, uh, with that project and redid the indoor tennis center and, and, um, and, uh, but, yeah organic is not going out and and banging doors down and 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 asking and and when people started seeing that effort it just it just grows and um and and more people want to get involved and uh yeah it's just like you know once you get the one then it's like okay well you can get another one and then their friends are like well you're giving i i I'll give or they give a nudge like man i just I'm helping Drake. T- Why aren't you helping? You're out here on a Wednesday night playing too, or, you know, you know, the guys, you love the guys let's, let's help. And um, that's just kind of where it's gone. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's like in an incredible great place with the recruiting. I mean, with the, with the fundraising and
1: uh, yeah.
2: And I, I, I couldn't give you a roadmap to how we got here, but it started with just not a plan, just get engaged with the community and um, for whatever reason, and uh, got people that were passionate about tennis and then became passionate about Drake.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I I, that's a great story, Davidson, because I think a lot of coaches, a lot of us, and I was guilty of this as well, you get in, like you said, your first priority is obviously the team, and like you said, the schedule and recruiting, um, and it's easy to uh, forget all these other things that have to be done, but if you can just start taking little steps, you don't know how they're going to pay off and when they're going to pay off, but usually they do and it's, but you have to take that first step. And um, so I think that's great advice.
2: I mean, here's the thing, like I did not enjoy going out and playing that social tennis doubles for years mm. and, um, you know, almost even lost the enjoyment of like kind of going out there and, and hitting. I, I, it's not the enjoyment. like I love tennis, but. And then once I kind of got into a weird place, like, you know what? I don't mind going out there and and playing you know doubles for an hour and a half with uh three five men or something or you know the four oh men and the four or five men and he's just like putting yourself out there to go do this because actually it's it's fun I mean and um and that's kind of like the the enjoyment that we started get like I actually enjoyed going out there and you just you just start making friends and uh and then your friends start wanting to 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 help you and and that's really what it is I mean we, we don't we're not it's like, we just don't have donor. I mean, we have friends of the program. Like, these guys are genuinely friends of, of mine at, at this point. And this yeah. list is, is vast, but it took year. I mean, it took several years to get there. Um, but does that mean we've got 200 people showing up? I, I know you started touching into how do we get them to come out? Um, you know, this is, again, just taking notes and listening to all the podcasts and getting ideas of, of what to do um, and then trying to figure out what situations worked for us. I mean, you know, we listened to Matt Hill talk about making an event, you know, Gray Morris talking at, at Montana state about, um, you know, making it a, a, a same thing an event and making it appear more like you can't just have somebody walk into your building. and There's not a sign to where, you know, where you go to the courts or, or things like that, like the t- tennis courts in the back. Like, so honestly, we took notes on all these things. We did listen. And, um, and you know, when we travel around, okay, what's Oklahoma doing at their for their their pre-match? You know, you've got the anthem, you've got, you know, a PA announcer, you've got rosters. They had these cool, like how to cheer, ours is called how to cheer the bulldog way. And they might have had like sooner cheer God. I don't I don't remember what it's called. But all these little things that we were picking up other places. And um, and then we just did them and um, you know, went out, bought a PA system, went out, bought a microphone, went out uh, you know, started having signs, you know, in our isn't hard to get into, you walk in the front door and you go straight back to the courts or you go up the stairs, but it's still the signage, you know, uh, tennis match here. And, um, and we just started doing things like that. We started inviting, um, you know, USDA, uh, adult teams that had won sectionals or, you know, advanced to region, um, you know, nationals. So we'd invite them out. We'd invite their entire team out to a match and, and, and honor them and recognize them between doubles and the singles point. You know, yeah. thanks for coming out. We'd like to recognize the 4.0 uh, USTA team that made it down to Orlando for nationals this year, or, you know, the WTT team that, that won nationals. So we started doing that. Um, you know, nothing new. We, we, you know, we've done kids clinics We invite the local clubs. There's really three main clubs in, in Des Moines, but you bring their kids out you get 20 kids. We're not, um, out for a kids' clinics is very easy to manage. We're doing it right to the lead up of the start. Then um, they, you know, are able to meet the players, sign autograph posters. Um, we just doing things like that. Same, uh, we just try to find ways to invite different groups out uh, to the team. And then you, you, if you're inviting a kids group with with their parents, you know, you got 20 kids plus parents. Then you've got a group of 20 or 30 guys that are following your program and bringing their, you know, their their wives out. And all of a sudden, we just started having. Really great groups um, come out, and uh, and that just builds the the enthusiasm, the excitement for matches, and then more people come. Um, and And these situations don't work for everybody, and you just have to figure out what works for you. and um, It's hard, but we try to schedule as many night matches as we can. I mean, when I got the Drake, this is something I kind of picked up from from some uh, Big Ten teams too. Is we we're going and playing them, we we're playing them at, at night. Well, you know, why aren't we doing night matches? Um, You know, we have indoor courts with lights and it's easier to get fans out. I mean, that's. People know that college goes. have been talking about that for for so long, but a lot of times you don't have the facilities to to do that. Or, you know, you're working with teams that might not have a budget to stay that extra night because you're playing at night. Well, okay, how do we fix that? Well, I start supplying hotel rooms for a team to stay extra night because it meant that much to me to have the team in front of a crowd and have the you know and give the the, the fans and the local people an opportunity to come out and play because if it's a 10 a.m 11 o'clock or you know 1 p.m start well they're working or their kids have soccer games on the weekend or something so that time does not work to have people in the building when do we get people in the building 5 p.m 6 p.m okay let's get every single match at that time unless unless a ret- opposing team just absolutely can't make it work and and refuses but that's what we do
1: we're going to switch gears now into more controversial territory and Okay. uh, You know, uh, I know that coaches love this kind of stuff, but um, you know, just in the last few weeks, the, the NCA competition oversight committee have decided to pilot uh, the singles and doubles NCA championships in the fall for 2024 and 2025. It's been a lot of discussions here really over the last few decades. I mean, I remember when I was a player, coaches talking about this. And so it's finally come to a head. Uh, We're going to pilot it. We'll see how it goes and then make some decisions uh, for the longer term after that or the NCA will make some decisions I gotta again it's the NCA tournament it's not the ita tournament but you know you and i have had some discussions you're on our operating committee and thank you for for your service you've been filling in here for the last year for your your region which i greatly appreciate and and you you've had some thoughts on this you're you have you're a little skeptical little unsure that this is the right idea but ultimately you've landed on um, it being a positive for college tennis because it would open up the possibility of maybe more format discussion and um, maybe putting more of the emphasis on the dual match, which I think we all agree is is the best product in tennis. As far as I'm concerned, nothing comes close to it. And I think most college coaches and college players would would feel the same. Um, So what upgrades or changes would you like to see to our our dual match format?
2: Yeah, well, to, to the first point is definitely on the fence about moving. I mean, that that was a change on moving the, the championships. I think it gave it, people need a lot of time to 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 think it through. And you know, the initial is okay if they move this um, smaller programs, mid major programs, financially that might be a challenge for them. You know, uh, a school like us um, put such an emphasis on the the dual match and trying to have team success. Um, and how do we get our team in position to, you know, get ranked, uh, qualify for an NCAA championship? Well, we're going to have to probably travel, and really focus on playing that that level of competition, um, and uh, and less emphasis on on the fall season. Now, if you move that championship to the fall, um, now we're going to have to start focusing on also including making sure uh, if we have players that we think are. You know, ready and at the level to qualify and play in an NCAA individual championship. We're going to have to get them the exposure and opportunities to to get there. So again, that's going to be um, you know hits to the budget. I'm um, to you know instead of just trying to play one or two fall tournaments and using it as that training block. Well, now I'm going to have to try to get you know x amount of guys in x amount of tournaments to just increase the chances and the opportunities. Um, so that's why initially I I think I was not for it or uh, you know, fully supporting it. And, uh, but I think ultimately, um, I think the dual match is our product. And, um, and I think to, to further uh, strengthen that and uh, the, the format and the understanding of the dual match needs, needs to be a- adjusted. And I think that's hard to do if you're still fully playing for every match counts because you're trying to use that spring to still qualify for the individual championship. And, and that's tough too, because when you're playing in a, in a dual season currently, there are so many matches that stop at clinch. So how accurate is that spring season to begin with? If you're, you know, you're playing a team and you know, once somebody gets to four, the match is over and you lose your opportunity uh, against a ranked guy to pick up a win or just your overall record, you know, wins and losses, depending on who, who the who the opponent is, if, if they have a ranking or not. So, I mean, in, in, unless you're saying every single dual match is played out, that spring result in going to the NCAA championship, I, I don't think is as accurate as, um, as you know, outsiders might think or even college tennis wants to believe it is. Um, so, then I start really thinking, okay, i. This would be better if you're doing an NCAA championship based on everybody's on the on the same playing ground. Like you have these opportunities to play, all these matches are finished. You have these individual tournaments. You know what's expected. You know how to qualify for an individual and in, uh, NCAA championship event. Um, and so, to me, that 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 makes sense. And then the other piece is to, as as you mentioned, we all think. Uh, the dual match format in college tennis is the best part of, of tennis, um, let alone from maybe uh, somebody saying a Davis Cup tie. But you've got six matches going on at one time. I mean, there's excitement nonstop for, you know, two hours of play plus, you know, a 30, 45 minute double set. So it's just nonstop action for the, the time you're in there. Um, so I do think that needs to be the product we're, we're truly selling. And how do you make that product even stronger? So, yeah, um, I'm all for ideas. I, I you know, I, I'm not the one making the making the changes here, but uh, definitely be up for and listening to and uh, and hearing suggestions on format changes. Um,
1: well, you say you're not, but it, you're on the operating committee, and the operating <laughs> committee ultimately makes these decisions on, on format. A lot of our coaches don't don't know that, but when it comes to things like format and rules that's our coaches making the decisions when it comes to, you know, um, who our next sponsor might be for the fall national championships. Well, that's on the staff and board of directors, et cetera. And so, uh, you know, I think one of the things you mentioned, which I found interesting was the um, the time between uh, doubles and singles and in our attempt to try and, and squeeze it and make it shorter, uh, you felt like we maybe lost something there. Can you, can you expand upon that a little bit?
2: Yes. Um, so I guess, you know, what I'm saying, I don't have the, the recommendations for changing, you know, scoring. Um, and, you know, let's go down to everybody plays at once. You've got, uh, you know, one single scored and two doubles, I mean, whatever. I, I, mine is, this is our project and people love it. Uh, when you get them out there, and and how do you engage the people that are in that building even more? So yes, it, you know we shorten the time between doubles and singles, thinking we've got to condense these matches to fit a supposed uh, TV time. Like okay, these this is the match, so let's start cutting things out. Well, all these other sports have half times, and fans are engaged during half times. Um, and and I think we need to find some ground there to uh, allow the, the 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 schools, the coaches, to to engage with the with the fans, with the spectators between that doubles and singles point. Um, you know, I mean, years back, I think it was you know you had ten minutes, but you know people would have a, a hitting contest, uh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, a, a raffle, uh, invite people down into the court. I mean, whatever it is, however you want to engage your fans, a short interview with them. I mean how cool would that be? You're walking off just as, you know, you see Nick Saban or, you know, Kirby Smarties coaches coming off the, off the field going into halftime and they're being asked a question or two. Um, I think the fans would just eat it up if we're walking off and, you know, you give a, uh, and, and these schools that are streamed, you know, you can, you can have it mic'd up onto, onto the, one of the cameras, you know, your thoughts on the doubles point and, you know, what you're looking forward to going into singles. I mean, that engages people. Um, mm-hmm. So I I think that's key. Um, I I think being able to, well, this is maybe somewhat controversial, um, is I I think dual matches should be clench, clench. I think as soon as a point is clenched, it's done. Again, um, you want to engage with the fans and and a match is over, a match match is clenched at four and you've got three courts still going on that could possibly go on for another hour and a half. Well, most of your fans are, are probably leaving at that point. The outcome's been done. It's just the same as a, a blowout. If you go to a basketball game, a team's up by 30 points, that, that full stadium's not staying to the final whistle. I mean, they're like, oh yeah, we got this one. We're, we're headed home. Who's staying to the end of that? Um, a, a parent, um, you know, uh, a coach's wife. I mean, most people start tailing off once that, that point, that final point's been, been clinched. And I think the matches need to stop there because that's an opportunity for the players, the coaches uh, to interact and, and go thank the, the fans. Go, you know, do something with the fans uh, that have come out to, to watch. And otherwise, you're, you're just sticking around and you're just losing opportunities, I feel, to, to connect and engage the people that have shown interest in, in the program. And that's what's going to make our sport, um, most of our sport, survive is the, the engagement and the support from, from our community. It, it's not even really the alumni, it's the community that are there. I mean, our alumni, when you talk about where they're from, it's not just Drake, it's it's college tennis. They don't live in the town they play in. Right. Um, it's rare that they live in the state they played in. So we're talking about Americans. Most of those guys are moving out of state. They've gone to a school out of their state to play college tennis and then they move home or they go to where they get a job. They're not in the state, they're not going to home matches. You're internationals, they come over, if they move back internationally, they're not coming to your home match. Who comes to your matches, your community? Yeah. So unless you're engaging them fully and making them feel a part of everything and giving them something they don't get somewhere else, you're going to lose them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So I love the clench, clench, clench it, get the fans involved, find ways to engage with them. Um, you know, I, well, what we did with our, what did we do with our team the other night, I don't even know, you know, how this is looked upon, but once we got to four, I mean, we played a couple matches over the weekend and uh, we were able to you know, get to four and uh, we, we continued to play because we played them out. But I sent, the, I sent our players up, I you know, told them pre-match, okay, when we get to four, actually the first match we waited till we, the, we got to seven. The second match I said, listen, we got fans in there. As soon as we get to four, uh, not when you finish your individual match, but once we get to four, I want everybody that's not playing, go on up, talk to the fans, thank them for coming out and then come back down and support your team. It, that was important to me, and I cannot tell you the amount of text, uh, thank yous, a phone call, an email that I received from people that were at the match, how awesome that was, and uh, for the guys to come up and thank them. Um, and then we did it again the following night. And um, so, yeah, that's it. I, I don't know, it's simple. Just find <laughs> ways to engage the people and not bore them. And we, we bore them. We bore them with basically every single match. It's rare that a match is four, three coming down to the wire. And if it does, that's still an awful long time for people to be in a tennis center.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So last time format was changed, it was with uh TV in mind, but maybe uh format changes should be with the community in, in mind. And and is that more powerful than uh, anything that TV can, can provide? I mean, it's probably a little bit of both, but um yeah where where is that that good middle ground um but just so well i think
2: it, it i think it is for the teams that in the in the programs and schools that aren't really going to be your tv market sure right we're we're not winning a national championship we're 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 not florida we're 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 not a texas um so i i do think there's 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 I'm just going to say there's ways to do to both. I, well, I, I don't, but uh, you know, I, I still think the the TV model for, for um, I, I don't think taking an extra few minutes during uh, between a doubles and singles point is going to hurt people. Yeah. And, 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 and a TV contract's going to be turned down because you took three minutes to have the, the head coach say, uh, great doubles point this is that we have coming out in singles they really got us on court two. that guy's slicer about why we weren't anticipating it or you know we didn't realize they were going to have so-and-so play court one doubles that really caught us today um, but got the boys coming back out for singles uh, we've made one adjustment in our singles lineup from previous match and uh, we'll be back out in five minutes I that does not hurt people
1: right right yeah, it's it's going to be um, interesting few years. I mean, just to provide more context for our coaches, because again, this is an opportunity to educate all of us on on kind of uh, the landscape a little bit more. So several years ago, the NCA decided that they wanted all um, sports rules uh, to come in line for all the sports. NCA Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. Any rules out there were grandfathered in, but moving forward. There has to be uh, agreement between all three divisions. Um, so any uh, changes to our format moving forward NCA Division one, two, II, and three will all need to get on board with that. And as, as a lot of our coaches know, uh, we play different formats. So <laughs> Division one, Division two, NAIA play one uh, format, Division three play another one and and junior college play uh, uh, another one, which causes confusion as well out there. Yeah. but um, changes going forward, um, there'll have to be agreement between those three divisions at the NCA level. But also uh, what's out there now from the D1 Transformation uh, Committee is that each sport might have its own sports management committee. And we're not sure if that's going to be by division or each division is going to be able to do what they believe is in the best interest for their own division. And obviously, even at Division I, we have disparities there with, with, you know, the type of budgets that are, are out there from one school to another and different goals uh, for the programs and different expectations. Um, but it's an interesting time, I think, for college athletics in general. And uh, we just want to make sure we keep evolving and, and getting ahead and, and not allowing uh, you know, I know our sport's very traditional, and in certain ways, I'm a traditionalist. But we also know the one constant is that there's always going to be change, and and we can either get in front of it or we can get left behind. So, um, yeah. So let's let's uh, park that for now, Davidson, and let's go into Not some yet. some uh, quick quick fire questions. Um, okay, Davidson, what's the best piece of advice you've received from anyone in your life? Doesn't have to be tennis related. Yeah, great question. Uh, and, and this was
2: not something I received, but, but rather something I, I read. And uh, Steve Jobs' book, he talks about um, painting the fence, and his dad had him paint a fence, and he only painted um, the front side of it. And then the dad went out and said, hey, great job, but what about the back? And you know, Steve has a kid saying, well, nobody sees the back. And He says, but somebody will. And, um, and that it just takes that one person not to be impressed or wondering why the back of the fence isn't painted. And, uh, you know, I read that book years ago, so I, I don't want to butcher it too much, but it's, uh, it's, you got to paint both sides of the fence. And, 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 and I take that, uh, I want to say, take that to heart, but, uh, that that's kind of how I try to, to live. Like it, it uh, you, you don't know who's watching, so whatever you're doing, you got to do it. You got to do it the best. Um, and I don't want to say it's like appearance is everything or, or
1: you got to look the part, but, uh, you know, paint both sides of the fence. Good stuff. Is there a book, podcast, article, passage poem that's influenced your professional career? Um, man, another great question,
2: absolutely. Um, and uh, just had the team go through a few books so I'll mention those, but kind of what kickstarted all that was uh, a book, The 9 a.m. Meeting uh, by Doug Eklund. And everybody needs to go out and read this. It, it's quick read, it might be under hundred pages, uh, it's the nine a m meeting doug Eklund. Um and and really that was just uh you know uh, in, in the corporate world you you need to get to know your employees and and you need to get your get, need to get to know your your team members um personally and uh you know what what is each person their you know your team member your employees what 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 is their passion what what are their you know i don't wanna say goals but uh uh you know whether it's you know getting married and staying on track to you know uh you know, not spend their money uh, recklessly so that they're not, you know, saving for the house or the engagement ring for the wife. But, uh, you know, and just being a better mentor and because you're, you, you're knowing them and you can help guide them um, and, and that book. And, and then from that book, um, I reached out to Doug and he lives in Des Moines, Iowa. And mm-hmm. uh, we set up a mentor program with our team this, this fall. And uh, so I met up with him uh, through the summer and said, this is what I want to do. Um, can you help? Absolutely. So every Wednesday we, uh, we had a, it wasn't 9am, but we did a, uh, three 30, uh, team meeting. And, um, and then from that, uh, you know, Doug has a lot of his own, uh, stuff that, that he uses, but we went into, uh, a guy named, uh, uh, Tim Gordon, uh, John Gordon, uh, training camp. And, um, so we also use that playbook from uh, training camp, uh, John Gordon, uh, kind of as, a as, a, you know, uh, for us to kind of follow and, and use uh, as a, a mentoring, you know, what steps are these guys, you know, using in, uh, you know, just I called it, I called the meetings life training, you know, and this was, you know, when we have guys to come out and play, are you shaking hands? Are you, you know, asking them, you know, where they're from, um, you know, anything? How are you engaging these people? Oh, you know, what do you do? You're in business. Oh, okay, I'm a business major. All these little conversations like prepping these guys. These are things when I was in school, because when I graduated, I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't even know how to network. Um, and, and so we're just trying to like walk these guys through, uh, these steps. Um, so, uh, recommend those two books. And then, uh, over the break, had the guys read, uh, toughness by Jay Billis, which, um, I read several years ago and just love it. I I keep a copy in in my bag. Um, it's not really, uh, just has a ton of like inspiring motivational quotes and, you know, the quotes just kind of get you going and like fired up for, for that day or for a practice um i mean if you're not if you're not fired up on your own every day like living that way you know one one quote's not going to help you but it kind of takes you like gives you a little boost like a shot it's like a shot of motivation like a motivation shot or something so I, I do like the Jay billis top in this book and then uh again the had the guys go through uh tim grover uh relentless and and winning and um you know not my favorite books but again some strong messages in there about uh you know just kind of being tough and, and guys being better competitors on the court. And we use that as major motivation during our, uh, when the guys came back, we have this uh, J term uh, semester during our J term training block to kick before we kick the season off. So we spent three weird weeks and I was just kind of pulling stuff out of uh, uh, Tim Grover stuff, just just trying to make these guys tougher and more competitive before we kick the season off.
1: So yeah, That's
2: those cool. are, those are our books. It's a long list and podcasts. I got to shout you. I mean, I, I love the, uh, the ITA ones and uh, I've been a big fan of Alex Grushkin and uh, the mini pods and uh, cracked rackets. Um, just anything with, uh, with the tennis, um, just so passionate about it all and no ad, no problem. That's a new one I just started listening to. So uh, listeners, if you're not on those, check those out.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. We're excited. Have, uh, crack rackets following the action this weekend, the kickoff weekend and then national indoor championship. I hope you don't
2: mind if I plug some other podcasts, man, but, uh, but they're good and, and they, they, <laughs> oh, they're they fully, uh, yeah,
1: you know, they're, they're so passionate about college tennis, which, which is awesome. And that's what we need. That's exactly what we need. Okay. What is uh, one of your favorite drills to do with your team? Um, yeah, this was tough. I mean,
2: uh, but and, and, and the team will probably get uh, not, not bad, but I think it's it's, it's called switcheroo. And uh, one of the guys just named it that. It's it's just simple. And I do this almost every day, just not as a warm up, but it's a kind of an intense warm up. Uh, you know, one guy hits every ball cross, and the other guy hits one cross, one line. So um, I mean, we been doing this for like a year and a half with this same group of guys, and then the other day somebody said, "Oh, switcheroo." So so like the last week, that's what we started calling it, switcheroo. And every time I say it, it's like, you know, teenage kids or like young kids, like, oh, dad, like, but yeah, it's uh, I call it the switcheroo now just as, as a joke, but it's, it's every ball, cross, one ball, you know, the other guy goes one ball, one, uh, one cross, one line. I like it better than just the uh, cross court. Cause there's more moving to it and yeah. get some good rhythm. And we kind of do that three, you know, three minutes each way. And then we'll start, and then we'll start like fully engaging in, in some drills.
1: Okay. Um, and then lastly, what's one lesson you hope your student athletes have learned from you by the time they've graduated or even, you know, a few years after they've graduated, maybe.
2: Um, I mean, a big thing I've got on the board and I, I don't know if they'll take this, but uh, a message is silly. Again, a silly message is, um, and I just kind of coined this phrase up talking to somebody, uh, my assistant coach during the fall. And, um, he's asking me why I do the things I do and why, it's like I don't know, you know. There's 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 doers and then you know there's don'ters and I was like, you know, people do or you know they don't. You can't just keep saying things. You either you know you're doing them. You see things. It, it's just you know be in action. And um, so hope the guys take like just be a doer. Just if you want to do things, just do them. And if uh, and that's it. You know, doers and don'ters. Be a doer.
1: Got it. That's yeah. It. All right, Davidson. Thank you. This was awesome. I I really enjoyed this. I think uh, gave so many practical uh, tips, tactics to the coaches out there. Um, and no doubt they'll start applying them soon. So good luck this season and, uh, we'll see you soon.
2: I appreciate it, man. Thanks for the time. And, uh, I'll be seeing and speaking to you soon, I guess, in one of the Opcom meetings coming up.
1: You got it.
0: Thanks for listening coaches. Hopefully you found that conversation helpful. Just a quick reminder. If you did not see the email about our ITA coaches convention, uh, registration is now open. It will be held from May 17th to May 20th in Lake Nona during the NCA combined championships. So go to convention.itatennis.com to learn more, to register, and I hope to see many of you out there in person.